Folks, you know it's Black History Month, and we do. We have the best of the best coming on the show. This brother I got coming on is everywhere. When I mean everywhere, everywhere. He will tell you what's going on and what's happening in the tech scene and in Baltimore. He's not even from Baltimore, but he's embraced Baltimore as his home. And I love this about him. And, you know, we always are hard people from come out of town, but this brother is really, truly about Baltimore. And he's a new CEO, and I can't wait to have him on the show. So after this message, after you hear me talk, you'll hear Mr. Corey Bailey, CEO Upsurge. We made a pledge to do what's best for the health of our communities, and we continue to deliver on it every day for every one of our members. With access to a network of over 1 million providers, rewards for living healthy, and more care options than ever, we are Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield, and we are changing healthcare for all that we serve. At Care First, it's not just our name, it's our promise. Welcome to the No Picks of the Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. I told you I got the heavy hitters. Nothing but the best for all you listeners out there and viewers. Well, my guy, Christopher Corey Bailey. How are you, sir? Doing well, man. Great, great to finally be on the show. Finally. You were the <laughs> hardest working man in Baltimore, in the state of Maryland. You were the hardest working man. I really believe that. I'm just trying to do my part, man. It's, it's actually a lot of people doing hard work here, good work. So just trying to do my part. Well, and congratulations on your new title. I appreciate it. That's a big responsibility, but uh, I'm up for it. So first, let's, let's tell people a little bit about you. Let's tell what you got, what, your title, your name, the company you work with, and a little bit of your little background. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Corey Bailey. As you said, the new CEO of Upsurge Baltimore. We are a professional ecosystem building organization for the tech community in Baltimore. And what that means is... You know, we have startup founders, investors, institutions, corporations, all sort of tapped into the innovation economy. But a lot of times it takes a lot of work to pull those stakeholder groups together and get them aligned around making progress towards uh, generating more tech companies. So that's what we really focus on is doing that, um, connecting that ecosystem building, that building up of like network and and, and cultural capital uh, for our tech community and doing so in a way that represents Baltimore, right? We, we have this um, aspiration to be the first Equitech city in the world. Uh, and that means that we anchor our work in diverse leadership, equitable systems and practices, uh, and a culture of belonging in tech, which is there always hasn't been in every city that's tried to grow their tech economy. So that's what we're working on. I love it. And folks, I want you guys to understand, we both met through a mutual friend who works at another corporation and said, Hey, you need to go to this party that he's going to have. And you actually, you invited me to the yeah. event. And that was the first time we met. It was at an Equitech event. And you were like, well, open arms, come on in. And it was a blessing because I don't really know the tech space in Baltimore. I had no idea what I was walking into. And you welcomed me with open arms. So I want to say thank you for doing that. Absolutely. That's what we, that's what we want is no gates closed. Open all the gates. Right. If you're interested, if you're in tech or if you're tech curious or if you just want to know what's going on in the tech scene, uh, we want to make sure that there's multiple avenues for you to come into the tech ecosystem. The more, the merrier. Like we need smart, engaged, active people in the tech space. And so Equitech Tuesday is our weekly attempt to open those gates for people to come on in and see what the tech scene is about in Baltimore. I love it. So, again, I kudos to you for having me hang, hang out. And I, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, we have a tech scene in Baltimore. Like, and I remember from that standpoint, 
we were like, let's do this, let's do this interview. Let's figure something out. Let's figure something out. It's about a year and a half ago. So again, t- so where are you from? Where are you originally from? Yeah, so I'm originally from Durham, North Carolina. Grew up there in the 80s and 90s. So, um, you know, Tobacco Road, you got Duke Carolina basketball, you've got um, Research Triangle, Big Tobacco at the time. So uh, it was fun growing up down in North Carolina. But like you said, love, love, love Baltimore, embracing it as my home. Okay. And um, used to, so you were, were you a Duke or Carolina fan growing up? Which one were you? For? Growing up first. Ooh, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. You got to. I had to ask you this question. It's crazy. So my, my parents both worked at Duke for over 40 years. Okay. My dad was in the pharmacy department and my mom sort of like leadership development, HR. And so I kind of grew up a Duke basketball fan. I used to get my hair cut at the barbershop with Grant Hill, mm. Antonio Lang, like some of those guys. So it took me, it took me committing to UNC Chapel Hill, playing football there. And like starting to know the guys on the basketball team for me to make that full transition. So I tell people, I'm telling my age now, that I was a Duke fan for 18 years and now I've been a, a Carolina fan for 25. Enough said. <laughs> Enough said. I got you. So, no, because that's, that's funny. I grew up um, all around, moved around, but my dad used to work at Georgetown. And I always wanted to go to Georgetown. And then we moved around and we moved to New York and up going to Syracuse. And I was like, and I hated Syracuse when I was young. I was like, I was like, I'm Iverson. Like, that was like, and I was like, I never wanted to go to school there. And then I became orange person and orange men at the time. And now I can't stand Georgetown. So it's, it's kind of funny yeah. that you had that whole, like, it switches quickly. It switches, I mean, over time, but quickly as well, especially when you you know the guys on the squad. But yeah, I, I got a chance to go to the Final Four a few years ago when Duke and Carolina played, and it was easily <laughs> one of the, the best experiences I've ever had. It was fun. So, so when you told your parents you were going to go to UNC and your parents were at Duke, how did, was that? Was the house divided a little bit, baby? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, look, it's funny because uh, my dad says he was a Carolina fan for like four years, right? <laughs> and that's because they gave me a scholarship, you right. know, full, full ride through school. Uh, but even today, like my sister and my dad, Duke fans, me and my mom, strong Carolina fans, and we just rolled that way. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. So you played ball there. And what, what was your position? What was your... So I played wide receiver from 1997 to 2001. Okay, okay. Yeah. And you, had, you had some skills. A little bit of skills. You know, set, set a couple of freshmen catching in reception touchdown records. Ended up like fourth, fifth in the all-time receiving yards and catches record. On, we gotta get the flowers while you. We're on camera. Hey, we gotta, you, a, you gotta. I got receipts, it. right? I got receipts. <laughs> you have to tout what you got going on. So I always try to give people flowers while we're here. Yeah, talk about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Congratulations. And then you um ended up in the NFL. Is that a transition? How that so work? So went into camp with the with the Jets in 2002. Made it all the way through preseason. Um, didn't ultimately land on the 53 man roster, but. Um, it was a great time to be in New York, 2002. Okay. Uh, year after 9-11, there was a lot of really um, really good movements happening in the city at that time. It's, it's what really sort of tapped me into um, service and being a member of the community and not just, you know, on the outskirts looking in, being involved in, in, in different efforts. Now, did I read somewhere you were in African-American studies at, at, at Carolina? Yeah, so I majored in okay. communications, got my minor in African-American studies, okay. kind of by accident, you know, just, just trying to learn about our people and our history, right? You don't, you don't really get that in grade school or even high school. So to dig even deeper into it in college was, was really important for me. You know, I asked funny, I took a lot of African-American courses in college too, because I was like, I want to learn more about my history, learn about what's going on. I actually took courses every year. And I probably took a couple more classes to be a minor, actually. 
Probably was very close, but I was like, I'm trying to get out of college. I'm not trying to do any more. I'm just trying to get out. I'm not. So the communications, that, that took you to what, not, what happens after that? Communicate the communication major. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I got a chance to play um, up in New York in 02. When I went up to Canada in 2003, 2004. I actually won a Grey Cup in 2003, which is the Super Bowl of Canada. As hey. I tell people. But that was a great experience, too. Like living in another country. Uh, learning different customs. I know it's still North America, right? But Canada really is another country. They got different healthcare, different currency, different languages that speak up there, different customs and traditions, holidays, and, and the whole nine. So having that experience, like directly after college, being able to live in New York and then out west in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, it was great. It was a great experience for me. Did you learn how to snowboard while you're out there, ski or? No, so look, my mom's from Colorado Springs, right? <laughs> so I've been skiing since I was like seven, eight, nine years old. Okay, okay, okay. I'm rusty right now. I haven't gone in like two years or so, but um, I got the pizza French fries lesson young. <laughs> <laughs> I already know. I already know. I, I learned, I remember my friends were like, all right, you're going to Bunny Hill. Yeah. And I went to Bunny Hill with them for like one time. They're like, all right, you already understood this. We're going to take you all the way up. I'm just like, oh, no. And let me tell you, you learn real quick. You know, you learn real quick about skiing. But I do. I don't touch no more because I will probably break your bones. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm washed. You got to take some risks, man. I'm washed, man. Don't, never say never. I'm washed. I can't even. I won't even pick up a basketball no more. Oh, man. I, I, you guys always say, hey, you want to hoop? I'm good, bro. I don't even touch it. You got to stay active, though, man. What I do. Doing? I do. I stay active. I still I, I walk. do walks around Lake Montebello. Okay. I do a couple walks. I'm trying to, you know. Right, but right. I, I don't hoop anymore, though. All right. I'm too. I, I, I feel look. Like, that's how you stay alive, man. You got to move the body. Facts. Got to move the body. Facts. Yeah. So you went. And so after Canada, living in there, doing sports, what brought you back to the States? So, you know, off seasons, you always come home, uh, get reacclimated, check in with friends and family. Um after that, sort of fell into the health club industry because naturally you want to stay in shape. Mm -hmm. um, you try to find different places to work out. And I, I landed in a, a privately owned um, health club called O2 Fitness, um, you know, sort of, sort of learning the, the business side of that, doing membership sales um, and ultimately becoming like director of membership services for their flagship gym. I'm just I'm just a personable guy. I like to ask a lot of questions and typically. Um, help people get to the results that they want uh, or the outcome that they want. So they recognized that in me and placed me as director of membership service. Then I became a general manager of that health club and, and you know, managed a million dollar a year business with 62 employees and 364 days a year. Like it was it was a big learning experience, but um, I wouldn't give it back for the world because it taught me a lot about um, how to engage uh, with people and, and how to run a business. Because dealing with people is every day. Every day. And that's a whole different job in itself. I mean, the, the money comes, but dealing with the people brings the money. So, And you learn how to deal with different issues, that type of atmosphere. So I, I'm sure you had a lot of HR moments there and learning that. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because you have a, a member base that you have to engage with and, and make sure that they're serviced and, and good of feeling good about their experience. And you have employees I think my youngest employee was 16, worked in the child care. My oldest was like 62 and was an opener for me. So I had to engage with like the broad spectrum of people, um, both on the member side and, and the employee side. Do you think all this training that you were doing, like from working with teammates in college, going through the whole process, going through preseason, living in New York, then going to go live in Canada 
and then it's built to you who you are now to put you set up for this job you're working right now. Absolutely. I mean, I think every professional experience that I've had um, has led me or given me some kind of skill set or some kind of um, awareness or availability or, or um, ability to do this job. And it really is about relationships. Um, it's about recognizing people's needs, talents, and then trying to align them in a way that is uh, mutually beneficial to the people that you're connecting or to you and that, that other party. It really is about partnership, collaboration, and getting the most out of your, your talents um, across the ecosystem. So like that's, it's, it's actually an honor to be able to do that professionally, mm-hmm. like to use that, those, all those skill sets uh, in, in one organization and in one role. So I'm excited. Like I, I think there's a lot happening in our tech scene here, just a lot happening in general in Baltimore. Um, a lot of alignment at the state level as well. And so um, I always say this, well, I always, I've, I've been saying this recently, we're in our championship window uh, mm. to be able to execute and, and get a lot of wins for Baltimore and for Maryland. So yeah, it's exciting. And uh, I know a little bit, of, we'll switch tops real quick. I remember you telling me your family, you come from a family of people who are doers, yeah. who make things happen. Can you give us a little sneak peek behind the curtain of that? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because before taking this role, I was sort of knee-deep in a family history project. So I was learning a lot about um, our different family trees um, on both sides. And, and, you know, honestly, there are a lot of, of um, ancestors and, and family members that took risks, made decisions to be entrepreneurial. Um, both of my grandfathers actually were in the service Um during World War II, uh, my dad's father um, stationed out in Italy. Uh, my mom's father, Sam Hunter Jr., was a Tuskegee Airman. And so, you know, the legacy of sort of service and entrepreneurship is deep in my family. Um, his father, um, Sam Sr., moved the family from Texas to Colorado Springs um, in the late 19-teens. So there was a lot of sort of violence against black people happening in Texas at that time. and. Um, to escape that, they were planning to move to California and stop in Colorado on the way. Hmm. And when they got there, they experienced um, a part of the country that was open to black entrepreneurship, that there was opportunity to grow. Um, He ended up sort of um, apprenticing in um, a mortuary. So learning how to embalm, how to bury, how to to sort of give people those those last, um, the end of life care, right? That, that, um, that burial for the family. Um, and at the time, everyone who was black in Colorado would get passed between four different funeral homes. Uh. Cause none of the white, uh, mortuaries wanted to like own black deaths. If you could imagine that. Wow. And so he asked each of them, would you guys be open to me starting my own mortuary? Um, and they were like, yes, please. Um, so he was the first black mortician in Colorado Springs. Um, and then when my grandfather returned home from his service, um, in the, in, um, the war, he wanted to be a pilot, commercial pilot, right? Tuskegee airman. I can fly a B-52. I can fly a commercial flight, but none of the airlines were hiring black pilots of course not. at the time. And so he would end up taking over um, his father's mortuary business and then starting some of his own. Uh, he recognized a need for better housing for black people in Colorado Springs, got licensed, became the first black realtor in Colorado Springs. Um, funny enough, several of the properties that he's owned for a while that, that my mom and her siblings own, um, 
they just sold to a developer and, and learning the story of my grandfather developer decided to name the property that they were going to build um, the hunter which is um, my, my mother, mother's maiden name so really cool just history of like recognizing a challenge or an opportunity and building um, a, you know a business around it thank you for sharing that with your family. I know yeah, I like to tell my family and folks we'll be right back we're going to talk about the new CEO what's going on with the company where's he seeing this happening next five to ten years it's Texas and in Baltimore we just wanted some money from the federal government let's talk a little bit more a little bit about that uh, Equitech Tuesday. What is that? Can't wait to explain all that to you. We're right back at these messages. When you give to United Way, your gift could be the first spark of something bigger. It can help someone find, interview for, and get hired for a job and provide follow-up services for success. It can break down educational barriers and give that extra help to a struggling student with in-school support programs. Give today. Spark something bigger. Are you or someone you love in need of mental health support? For All Seasons is now offering same-day therapy appointments with no wait list. Through the For All Seasons open access program, you can walk in for mental health services and begin therapy in the same visit. For All Seasons accepts all insurances and provides financial assistance if you need it. For therapy, psychiatry, or victim support, we have appointments available today. Call For All Seasons, 410-822-1018. And folks, we are back with the CEO upstairs, Mr. Corey Bailey. I mean, I got CEOs in the house, you know, <laughs> big time. How you feeling, sir? I feel good, man. Uh, enjoying the the podcast, and it's always good to chop it up with you, man. It is, and I I wanted you to see how I operate it behind the scenes. So now you're like, all right, this makes sense. How can we incorporate? And that's that's kind of one of my goals is to really get in the tech scene and really highlight more things in Baltimore. But I just don't know. Again, who's the avenue? Who's that person? Say, hey, well, put. You understand? You understand? I'm, I'm, hey, I'm the plug. I, I, <laughs> I, I got. I got a lineup for you. I'm so, ready. So. I got names on names on names of people that you and your listeners and viewers need to, to know about. Love it. So, how do we get to being the CEO of Upsurge? How did? How do we? How did you even end up at Upsurge? Like, cause, like we got to figure out how you get to. How did you get to Baltimore? Yeah. And when you get to Baltimore, like, t- tell us how you that connection. Well, so look, I moved to Baltimore uh, summer of 2018 uh, with my family at the time. Okay. There's a lot of opportunity in Baltimore. I mean, we, we moved from Indianapolis to North Carolina, North Carolina to Baltimore. Um, and then once we landed here, just loved it here, right? So I had a, um, an idea that I was working on at the time called Have a Seed. It was a event technology. Um, essentially, it would allow people to exchange seats within a live event. Imagine you go to a game, you got crappy seats. You see, you go onto an open marketplace and you go, okay, some people have posted their seats available. I'm going to go check out these. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to the pandemic. There's no events happening. I'm home with my kids trying to make sure that we can just survive this this two-week break that we're getting ready to take. <laughs> <laughs> Nip. This two-week break, two that, week that, break. That, that turned into two years. But, <laughs> but anyway, it was it's interesting because um, I, I got my resume together um, early 2021 started to look for some opportunities, um, you know, using my network. I was working with a recruiter. 
Um, and I found this really cool gig uh, for a tech company called Every Action out of DC. Okay. Um, met with the, the the leader of a new team that had spun up around like advocacy and social movements, which at the time was like really resonating with me. This was even before George Floyd, to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or or right after George Floyd. Uh, so I was really sort of into that opportunity, and then. Um, somebody that your viewers might know, a guy named Jason Bass, mm-hmm. um, shot me a job description for Upsurge. And I literally read it and was like, this looks amazing. I wish you had sent it to me two weeks ago. Because mm. I was like negotiating my contract with every action. And he said, well, look, I want to introduce you to the the woman that's going to be running it, uh, my former CEO, Jamie McDonald. Just have a conversation with her and see what happens. So I wrote her a, little, a quick email. I said, love what you're doing. As a, as a black person in tech that hasn't met a lot of inclusive spaces, has, hasn't always felt like I belonged, like this is the movement that Baltimore needs. Mm-hmm. So activate me however you need, but I'm probably gonna take this other job. Right. <laughs> um, she emailed me right back and was like, before you sign it, just have a quick conversation with me. So we set up a call for the next day. Um, 30 minute call turned into like a 90 minute call. By the end of it, she said, I feel like you're the guy. Like I, I feel like you're the guy I need to 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 build this with, to do this with. And I said, feels pretty good to me too. And I was like, but I've, I'm I'm literally supposed to give my answer today, right? Um, and sign this contract. She was like, give me 24 hours to put something in writing, um, and we'll make this happen. So she basically got me to verbally commit. I was like, if you can do it, I'm yours because this is this is Baltimore. Mm. So I care about this is helping build the entire ecosystem to be more representative and to be more equitable and like give people real opportunities to, to get their businesses to market something I wasn't even able to do as a founder. So I wanted to give other people that opportunity. And so, um, just, you know, a series of connections. That's crazy. Like you think about it that way, just a series of connections get you there. And there's even a a trippier backstory about how I met Jason Bass, but like, (laughs) I, I believe in, um, you know, moments like that leading to something impactful, small moments leading to really big things happening. And so those were small moments for me that led to this. And now three years, almost three years in, I get the opportunity to lead an organization that I was passionate to join in the first place. And so that's really rewarding. What was the, what was that moment when you got that call? I said, hey, you got the job. Like what? What emotions? Take us to those emotional moment, or if it was no emotion at all. Oh, all what, what, the emotions. What, yeah, what was the emotion like? All just... the emotions. I mean, even even going into the process, there was so much of of you know imposter syndrome. Am I ready to do this? I'm, I'm a different type of leader. Is that going to resonate with people? Um, but the moment that you know our our transition committee informed me um, that I was going to be receiving an offer to be the next CEO of Upsurge was, it was equal parts like exhilarating and validating um, and frightening, right? Like, I think I've been sort of the face of our organization for a while, but to be the face and the leader and have that responsibility, you know, to make sure the team is taken care of, to make sure our ecosystem is, is nurtured in the right way, to hold space for, you know, people who are still sort of on the fence or, or, or need to see more from us, like um, having that responsibility is it's a little bit scary, you know, mm. but um, you step out on faith, you, you do the best you can every day. Um, 
you take a, a, a position of listening and learning and, and then executing based on what you what you what feedback you've gotten. Um, and there are no missteps. I, well, there, there, I say you learn from everything. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's constant iteration. It's constant prototyping. It's constant trial and error. You try to do more things positively than not. And then you learn from the things that don't go as you plan. I always tell people you are where you're supposed to be. Yeah. In life. Don't ever doubt. You're, you're there. And, you know, we all get the imposter syndrome. I get them like, do I really belong here? Like, you know, I mean, I get that a lot. I, and I'm starting out. People are like, you, you, you're here. Act like you're here. Don't be yeah. surprised. But I feel like knowing you and seeing what you've moved and how you navigate through Baltimore, you are where you're supposed to be. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you, there was no, there was no other, in my mind, and no offense to anybody or slight anybody out there, you were up search. Like if I said, hey, I got got a guy, Corey, Corey, okay, boom. Like that was the first name, a person or face that popped in my mind. And for me, is representation. Representation matters so much to me that that's what's so important. You know, I always tell the people, when I first won Best of Baltimore for Baltimore Sun, and to see my black face on that in that paper, I cried because it's like now other young black people who want to do podcasts, you can do it. It's there. It's just not just a fly by night. You win it again. You win it again. You're like, this can happen to you. Yeah. And so like I see you as that person. You're that guy. Or as, or as Dion says, he he is him or whatever you want to call <laughs> it. But you have been that person in limelight. And I, and I was so happy when I you had said it and then got announced. And you deserve it. You didn't really deserve it. I appreciate work. that. And I know you were the right person to lead them. I appreciate that. And, and you know, I I agree with you. And that's a, a reason why this effort uh, and the work that we do at Upsurge is so important to me. Um, you know, being a, a black person in tech, working for a startup where I was the only black employee for like two years. Mm-hmm. And I had great relationships with my coworkers, with our leaders. But it's, it's you know, it's it's jarring to think that you are one of one, right? Like I'm not a unicorn. There's <laughs> nothing special about me. What my mom would say, but there's other people out there that deserve this opportunity mm-hmm. and to be in tech and to benefit from all of the things that being able to build your own tech company or have a great career in tech can bring. And so, um, it matters to me too. I remember the, um, if, if I'm able to plug another another go ahead. series, go the, ahead. the second day on the job, and I was just uh, down at Fearless talking to Delali about this. The second day on the job, I got to hear the downtown download with Shalonda Stokes from Downtown Partners mm-hmm. in Baltimore. She was interviewing Delali Zarasa, the founder of, of Fearless, which is easily our, our fastest growing tech company in Baltimore. Um, to hear the intentionality behind the brand, the focus on the culture and the team that he was building, 50% uh, people of color, 50% um, women, the intentionality behind that, but also um, firmly stating that they were gonna be a billion dollar company by 2030. Like I, I was like, whoa, that's, that's what's up. Like that's what we need is people willing to do it differently, but not compromise on excellence not compromise on world-class business not mm-hmm. compromise on economic win right it's not just a social good to be inclusive or to, to have representation it is a economic advantage mm. to have those voices at the table 
to be able to have people show up as the, their true their true selves at work to, to contribute to something in a culture that is bigger than just your individual effort but what the team can can contribute and and produce and so I knew my I had my marching orders early. I was like, we're going to do something different in Baltimore. And Equitech to me is that that aspiration to do it differently. All right. So you, you rolled into something really cool here. Tell us about what's happening with the federal government, with the tax. Because since you're talking to a billion dollar company, we're getting a lot of money coming here. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, we have an opportunity. So I'll, I'll, I'll just back up a little bit. Um, this summer the federal government through the EDA issued an award called the federal tech hubs, um, award. Essentially they were asking for proposals from different parts of the country, right? Not the New York's or the Boston's or the Silicon Valley's. They wanted the places in the Midwest, those post industrial towns to like put together a proposal to say, um, why they should be the next tech hub in the country Mm -hmm. and so you had places like pittsburgh and baltimore and tulsa and like um really put their best foot forward to share what assets and resources they have um what different contributors and companies and organizations they had that would would be willing to come together um to become a new tech hub a new federally designated tech hub Um, for the first time at least since i've been here and there was a federal award issued. The Baltimore MSA, which sort of spans like Towson, Baltimore City, Columbia, um, put together one proposal. Mm. You know, upsurge, and we went to GBC and said, "Listen, you guys have that uh, corporate membership base that's really going to be vital for this proposal. You guys have the infrastructure to be able to do this. We need you to lead this federal tech hub consortium. It's one of the most important wins we could get for our tech ecosystem." And so we brought together just about 40 consortium members. We put together, put forth proposals and ideas. We landed in a place of um, we are going to leverage our assets in biotech and AI to create health tech solutions that can contribute to better predictive health outcomes for our MSA. And we're going to model how to do that equitably, sort of the Equitech um, aspiration that we have. We're going to model how we do that equitably and produce equitable outcomes for our MSA. More high paying jobs in the tech sector, uh, better health outcomes for our MSA, and then that can be a model for the rest of the country. And so over 400 submissions, they chose 31. Baltimore is one of those 31s. And we were even fortunate enough to have Mark Anthony Thomas, who's the new CEO of GBC, announce uh, or introduce the president as he was issuing um, those 31 tech hubs. So it's been a it's been a collaborative effort. It hasn't been easy. A lot of different, um, you know, uh, folks at the table mm-hmm. that are that are fighting for um, their particular institutions or their particular sector focus. Um, but that's that's what that's I always say. That's how you operate in love. Right. You bring all of your issues and challenges and opportunities to the table and you align them in a way that everybody uh, can see a win for themselves. And, and that's what we're doing. We're in phase two right now, going for anywhere between 40 and 70 million for some foundational work that can open up a share of $10 billion, ultimately, mm. once they choose the the five to 10 um, MSAs, um, metropolitan statistical areas that are gonna get that, that share of 10 billion. But that's mm. catalytic funding. That's transformational funding 
And if we can get that type of federal funding flowing into our ecosystem, it it, it will mean a whole lot for more opportunities for more Baltimoreans and, and, and the state at large. Would that bring more jobs to Baltimore? Absolutely. Region? Okay. Absolutely. You okay. think about um, opportunities in healthcare, health tech, uh, biomanufacturing, all of the different um, places and spaces and operations that will spin up, all different companies that will be created um, from some of that acceleration and, and, and venture funding that comes from that. We need private sector dollars to really support the proposal. Mm -hmm. um, we need those institutional and, and corporate players at the table saying this innovation matters to me, to my bottom line. So I'm gonna invest in that as well. Um, but the, 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 the number of jobs that it could bring to Baltimore City and the state at large is just, it's just transformational. So my hope is by, you know, the time that, that um, we get here next year, we'll be designated as a, a phase two winner. We'll have, you know, a, an annual tech conference here. Like mm. I, I, we got big aspirations. So my hope is that if we sit down at the same time next year, we'll be talking about a whole list of wins that, that Maryland and Baltimore have had in the tech space. I love it. I mean, I know what's really cool is um, you guys have, um, well, you guys partner with a CIAA during a week and it's a tech seven day. Yeah, and I, I interviewed Fearless Owner. Nice, and that was really cool to do that. And I'm actually we doing some tech stuff also coming out. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I'm trying to figure out when this is coming out, but yeah, I can say it. I can say it. By the time this comes out, there'll be an announcement of who I'll be interviewing for a tech summit. That also that's that awesome. Week. So I know that you guys are everywhere, and like again, you're to me, you're the perfect person to have your hands on a lot of different things, and everybody knows you. You know everybody. And I, I call it, I think you are the connector of Baltimore. Yeah. I really see that as a connector. You just like the spy, and that's what Equitech is. Yeah. It's basically like the webs, the spy webs, everybody connecting everybody throughout the whole thing and whatnot. And, you know, kudos. That's a lot of, that's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work, a lot it of is. different people you're dealing with. It is. Um, and I, that's why I wanted to build up in the first part all the different things you've done in the past. Yeah. How has it gotten you ready for what you got going on right now? Let's talk about Equitech Tuesday. Yeah. What is that all about? I mean, Equitech Tuesday it started by accident. Okay. So during the pandemic, before we had offices, um, our team primarily worked remotely. We worked mm -hmm. from home. Um, I'm such a busybody at home that I needed a, a, a place to go and work. Mm -hmm. uh, my neighbor, Arena Stein, one of the owners of Alma Cocina, great restaurant in town right across from Penn Station. She goes, you can use Alma. The staff isn't really there till four o'clock anyway. So if you need a place to work, go work there, set up shop um, at one of the tables. And I literally sat at the far back table on the corner of Charles and Lambell. Mm -hmm. Like that was my view of, of Baltimore, like crossroads of Baltimore, if you will. Um, and, and the trippy part is there's so many plants in Alma that when I was on Zooms, people would be like, I, I love your virtual background. I'm like, oh no, these plants are real. I don't, even, <laughs> I don't even know how to do a virtual background. I know I'm in tech, but I don't even know how to do a virtual background. So I was meeting with entrepreneurs, meeting with investors. Like the whole first year of this work was discovery. I'm like a newbie. I had my like smaller network of people that I had got to know over the first couple years of being here, but didn't really know anybody in tech. So 
I was meeting with probably 15 founders a week, four or five investors a week, just trying to get a lay of the land. And like you said, understand that full landscape. Mm -hmm. In order for us to move the ecosystem forward, you got to have a full picture of it. Who's who's in it? What are their what are their priorities? What are they working on? What's missing? Where, Where do they wish there was like better alignment? So I would have all these great conversations in 30 minute chunks and I would say, uh, Monday they were closed, but on Tuesday they it was their first day open. So I was like, if you want to pull up at the bar, I'll probably just be working here through then and, and grab a drink, have a little food um, before I head home. So we end up having our like very first public um, event, uh, 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 AMA, Ask Me Anything. Right? We uh-huh. did it up at um, Impact Hub over there on North North Ave. And afterwards, a bunch of us who had just met in person for the first time after being on all these squares, I said, well, hey, I, I do this thing every Tuesday at Alma where I just sit down with folks. Why don't we all go down there? And so like Matt Conwell, Ellington West, Nick Culbertson, um, Chibweze Ahanachu from Armor, like the Derek and Jolly guys from Flav, like a bunch of us just walked down to Alma. So we had like 10. Um, and they were like, you here every week? And I'm like, yeah can I bring somebody next time? I'm like, sure. Next week, mm. 10 more people. The week after that, 15, 20. Then I finally was like, I think we're on to something here. And any strong startup ecosystem needs regular uh, recurring events, mm. places where people can plug in. Like if you're from out of town and you're like, yo, I'm here. I'm trying to learn about tech. People are like, oh, you need to go, you need to, go to this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the funny part is the first, the first thing I named it was the future of Baltimore. Because I had like D. Watkins come in, Kondwani Fidel, Devin Allen. Like I had other guys that were innovating, but not really in tech per se. So to me, it was like, who cares about the future of Baltimore? Just come here and let's talk innovation. Let's talk future. Um, But then like to to really like anchor it in the work we were doing, I wanted we wanted something that spoke to this Equitech aspiration. How can Mm. we be the most diverse, the most inclusive, the most equitable tech ecosystem in the world so equitech tuesday kind of flowed and you know we've been doing this we're coming up on the 128th wow in a row wow so it's been going for for two and a half years now and it really is it's the place the open door the front door if you will to the tech ecosystem Mm. and once you know you talked about like what are what are what we do right as an ecosystem, what we want is multiple entry points in. Come one, come all. Like you say, you felt welcomed. You didn't feel weird about coming. Like, right. even though you're not directly in tech, which all this tech around us, but <laughs> you were like, hey, I'm in. Once you're in a circle, we got to increase your participation. Right. What else can you go to that's beneficial? It might not be an upsurge event. It might be Conscious Venture Lab demo day. It might be a Techstars you know, demo day. It might be an entrepreneurship panel up at Loyola or, or a, a pitch competition up at Towson. Like, how do we get you in, engaged in the ways that matter the most to you? And then how do we route you to the next best resource, the next mm. best person, right? Sometimes you shoot your shot before you're ready and you're like, oh man, I should have, if I had talked to that person two months from now instead of right now, right? But if you can see the path to that conversation before you need it, right? Oh, this is what I need next. I'm gonna go do this workshop. I'm gonna do this masterclass. I'm gonna do this, go, go check out this panel. 
awareness. So for, for upsurge, it's about creating awareness for those, increasing the activity around them, bringing the right groups together at the right time, and then holding our ecosystem accountable to that, like those behaviors. Everybody needs to be doing this, not just Corey, not just upsurge, introduce them to your network, open up access to your resources, fund those investors. I mean, fund those founders, get them the funding they need, get them to revenue faster, right? Like mm-hmm. be a, be a customer. Founder will tell you, I want a customer more than I want an investor. Mm. Investors are great. They're needed at the right times for growth. But customers give us the most feedback. Customers give us better revenue. Customers give us runway, right? So it's exciting, man. The work is is really exciting. And, and Equitech Tuesday really is that sort of weekly check-in point for us to get a pulse on the tech community and for people to just be welcomed into it with open arms. I love that. What do you want people to walk away from this Listen to this interview, you and I are sitting down just talking about, you know, your life and then, but also what's going forward with Upsurge. You're at the helm. What do you see going forward? What do you want people to wrap, wrap their hands around and be like, okay, let me check them out. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're sort of evolving into, um, you know, how, how I described us in the beginning, a professional ecosystem building organization. Mm-hmm. Ecosystem building has only really been a profession for about a decade, right? It's, right. it's how do you get a full landscape? of your ecosystem, whether that be, you know, an economic ecosystem, a tech ecosystem. And then how do you put those puzzle pieces together in a way that they benefit um, the acceleration of more companies and the momentum towards, um, for us, a more equitable economic um, um, city and state. So what I tell people, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna geek out and nerd out a little bit, is for every startup community, there are seven forms of capital that are necessary to be a thriving ecosystem. Some that you can see and feel that are easy to understand. Physical capital, you gotta have buildings, you gotta have infrastructure, you gotta have transportation. Um, intellectual capital, you gotta have ideas, right. science, IP, things that are coming out of people's brains that you can bring to life. You gotta have institutional capital, right? You got your mm. Johns Hopkins, you got your corporations. Um, all of those places have either entrepreneurship uh, focuses or innovation arms um, and innovation is important even a company like Under Armour will tell you like they're essentially a tech company right like they're innovating mm. in the material space um, and you can't be a global company without uh, you know an element of tech spreading your 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 uh, market size globally um, you got to have uh, financial capital it's needed you need people out there investing you need you know, corporations investing. But the two that we really laser focus on at Upsurge are the hardest ones to see, but the easiest ones to feel. And that's network capital. How connected is everything, right? Who, who knows about what's happening and who's connecting in a way that, that is beneficial to both, that reciprocity and cultural capital. What are the mindsets, the ideals, the practices that are happening in your ecosystem? Mm. You got San Francisco is like a double opt-in culture before i make an introduction i gotta ask you and i gotta ask you if it's cool you cool mm. with this introduction you cool with that introduction okay i'm gonna make that introduction mm. we don't need to do that in baltimore it's too small of a, of a of a ecosystem and we need to accelerate that momentum so if you trust me and they trust me i'm just gonna put y'all together zero mm. opt-in right we all know that less than five percent of venture funding goes to women and people of color 
We also know that women and people of color are 70% of the U.S. population. So you cannot tell me that 70% of good ideas should get 5% or less of funding, right? So we could be a place that goes, that's just fundamentally bad business. Mm -hmm. We got to get more of these 70% of good ideas to market. How are we creating systems and structures to make sure that people of color and women get their ideas in front of customers for that customer feedback so they can reach product market fit, so they can hit the milestones that they need to to hire people, to get more customers, to be venture backable. Like we can be the city that does that. So what what I want people to walk away from this knowing is that there's already great momentum happening in our tech space. Baltimore gets a bad rap nationally in terms of our narrative and our story. We've got a we've got a phenomenal story to tell in the tech space. It's 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 like ready to explode. We just got to put the systems and structures in place to allow for that to happen. So I want people to be excited about that. And I want people across Baltimore, young people, um, people that have traditionally sort of thought about investing in real estate or small business to take a look at our tech sector and say, there's some exciting opportunities here and some really brilliant founders here. And it looks and feels a lot different than the Boston's, the San Francisco's, the New York. And we could be Baltimore could really lead in the next phase of tech growth in, in our country and in the world. Drop the mic. You, you said you said <laughs> it all right there. Where can people find you guys on online? Where can we look you up? Where can they where can people communicate to your team? How do they do that? Yeah, so you can go to our website, um, upsurgebaltimore.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at upsurgebmore. Um, you can follow me at Corey Bailey 12 It's Corey with a K, Bailey12. Um, and just look forward to, you know, tapping in with us in person. I invite everybody here to join us at Equitech Tuesday next year. Um, we've got two more this year, and then we're on holiday. And then we'll pick back up, I believe, the second Tuesday of January. Uh, right now we're at Gilbert Hall Brewery. We do a lot of partnerships where they move around um, as well. But we look, we like I said, we welcome everybody into this activity. We want everybody to be excited about tech. Whether you're in tech, tech curious, um, there's a place for you in the Equitech community. Folks, thank you so much for hanging out, Mr. Corey. But before you go, we're gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you off easy. We gotta do a speed round. Speed okay? round. Speed round. Let's go. Crabs or crab cakes? Crabs, man. I like to get my hands dirty. All right. Wings, flats or drums? Flats. All flats right. and only flats. Are you one of those people who go to the restaurant and say I just want flats? I just want flats. Okay, I, I respect that. <laughs> I was like, blue cheese or ranch? Ranch. Snowballs or ice cream? Ooh. You better get in trouble with this one here. Cashew creamery ice cream. Okay, okay. A fair. Fair. Cashew creamery That's fair. It's cashew. That's fair. Um, your favorite athlete of all time you'd like to watch? Man, Randall Cunningham. I wore number 12 throughout my career because I was a big Randall Cunningham fan. I have jokes, but we're not going to talk about that right now because <laughs> <laughs> my team got did, did some work last oh, night. We're not going to talk. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Let's talk again <laughs> after February. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. Uh, if I happen in your car right now, what would you be listening to? Oh man, probably a whole lot of J. Cole uh, for North Carolina. I believe he is at the top of his game right now. So bunch of J. Cole. I got an eclectic music taste though, man. You, you, you're liable to hear anything from me. And my number one, I guess, uh, artist on Spotify this year was Toby and Weeway. Okay. Going on to a meeting, 
what music do you play before you go into a meeting? What, what gets you psychologically there? Man, I look, I don't have any breaks between meetings, so like no music, but um, I really, really enjoy um, hip hop. I've been listening to a lot of like just Afro beats lately. I think that genre is just prime for like explosion globally. So uh, hip hop and Afro beats. All right, you're off the hot seat. Yeah. Folks, thank you again. Thank you for hanging out with me today. We've had a great time, great conversation. Can't wait. Our joint venture is coming up. Very excited. A little teaser for you folks out there. Um, and again, thank you for listening. No Picks Ever Dark. Check us out. NoPicksEverDark.com. NoPicksEverDark on IG, Twitter, or X, wherever you want to call it. Check us out. If you can reach out, go to the website. All right, folks. Love. Peace. We're out.